Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. But what made you so sure that this was the best place and this was the right decision for you? It's Arsenal, you know. Come on, it's Arsenal. Welcome back to... We need the Ornstein Bomber! We need the on screen Bomber! An Arsenal podcast with Alexander Maddy, but my very good friends. Bradley Adams. And George V. I was thinking this earlier, George. Why do you say V? Because your name's in the description. <laughs> It's not a particularly good disguise. There, there was. Uh, uh, well, there was the. I, 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 there was the. You, we we all it. say our last names, don't we? <laughs> we do. Yeah. There's not. I don't get it. There's no other fucking Bradleys on the or Alexes on the podcast, so I don't know I why. It's just, <laughs> it's just something we started years ago. I think it. I think yeah. it feels more official. Yeah, you, yeah. You know what? I probably should just release it at this point because I feel as though that when yeah. I first started Twitter, I had done it for no naming purposes, and then I was very I slow see. to put the picture up. And then, uh, and then it's yeah, like, well, yeah, I've yeah. been on how many pods now? I think if people want to find me, they can find me at this point. <laughs> like, yeah. Speaking, speaking they're, they're, of... Um, they're not going to spell your last name right anyway, even <laughs> if they do want to find you, so... Yeah. Or your real first name, actually. Yeah. Speaking of uh, pictures, George, mm. I've, I went on... I think I recently followed you on Instagram. Yes. You're hench. <laughs> He's a, he's a big boy. <laughs> Jesus you know, Christ. There's, there's a little bit of action going in, you know? There's a little bit of gym work every now and I then. to see it. <laughs> this guy, what can't he do? Podcast extraordinaire. UEFA B UA license. UEFA B license. <laughs> Sexy. And he's, and he's got jacked. It's unbelievable. Well, Save uh, some for the rest of us, George. God. Goodness sake, George. We've got girlfriends. I mean, Brad, uh, Anyway, uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> too real uh welcome back to the different knock and arsenal podcast Hope you're doing well um we uh, uh we are <laughs> here <laughs> talking um I, th- I thought we'd talk about arsenal today i think that that's that's the plan that suits. um and i would love to talk about something else that isn't transfers uh but if it, it feels like the thing that we we probably should talk about but before we do do that <laughs> do do um i do want to say <laughs> i do want to say there's a there's a we are five years old there is a great video um, somebody's leaving a uh, uh, an apple review right now yeah, they've right stopped now. listening that's it done do we need do do jokes boys <laughs> do we do really we? boys sorry dad um yeah there's a great video by gunner blog james McNicholas, on his youtube channel out right now which I would recommend everyone's go watch. It's essentially called like uh, how football deals work or something along those lines. And he just talks about 25 minutes and explains all sorts of the context around deals, how deals happen, explains the process. It's a really, really good watch. Definitely worth your time. And definitely something that um, is worth talking about now because we are in the middle of a kind of bid off some kind of Declan Rice. The rice is in the freezer. No one knows where it is. 
Uh, we're going to have to defrost it. Everyone's panicking. Uh, and last time we... Well, I think in the meantime, between the last time we spoke uh, last Monday for... We obviously have a bonus podcast out for Patreons on Patreon.com. But um, <laughs> the last time we spoke on the main pod, uh, City had not come in for rice. Um, Bradley, I'll start with you. Yes. This whole City situation with Declan Rice and how that's all playing out. How are you seeing that? Do you see it as uh, West Ham negotiating tactics? Do you see that as um, a genuine threat? Do you Can you see him actually going to City in the end? Because one of the things that James said in the videos and, and um, something that's recontextualized things for me is this idea of bids. This, we have this idea of like, you know, you put a bid in. But what he said was really... You, you, okay, you make an offer, which is sometimes just an email or a text. And you say, you know, the, here's our upfront fee. Here's our, you know, uh, here's how the structure would work. Here's the add-ons, whatever it was. Is that of interest to you? And then you have conversations. And when people say we're in advanced negotiations, all that means is you've agreed on that and now you're dealing with the fine details. But the idea of putting a bid in and this idea, you know, put the next bid in, put the next bid in. I imagine we're in constant communication with them trying to work out the... The structure. So, yeah, are you worried about City or are you, are you kind of, you feel as though we probably have it under control? I mean, I think there's something that we mentioned in the last bonus pod that um, kind of to put out on the main one is is interesting in that a lot of the way that people think about transfers, um, the way that deals are structured, is coloured through the lens of a generation that grew up with FIFA and football manager and the idea that you have 150 million pounds every summer and that if you buy a player for 50 million pounds the money is directly deposited into that bank account that then summer and it's it, it is a question of bidding right on these games you send across bids and it just isn't the way that the real world works but for the sake of game mechanics it has to right um in terms of kind of the actual situation with rice i'm not particularly worried because I look at Man City, I look at the fact that they're heavily linked to um, Gvardiol, which is going to cost them, again, 80, 90 million pounds. It's not going to be a cheap deal. Um, and when when have we ever seen a club outlay a probably 100 plus million pounds on two different players in the same summer? That's a massive burden on a, on a club's finances um, and on, on a club's kind of future moving forward. Um, and they also have lots of work to do in other areas that, that's slightly more important. And if you look at what Rice is, everyone's talking about Rice as a Gundogan replacement. Rice is nowhere near the profile of Ilkay Gundogan. Like they're, They couldn't be more different. Like it, you're talking about two completely separate stylistic profiles and choices. Um, so I think it's a mixture of things. It's obviously negotiation tactics by West Ham. They want a bidding war because they want the best price that they can get for their for their asset. The same thing would be true if we, for example, were selling Kieran Tierney. I would want Newcastle and Aston Villa and a couple of other clubs of that ilk involved so we can extract maximum value. So it's just smart business tactics on them, their point to, to keep um, the media profile on the fact that this is a this is a two-horse race rather than just Arsenal, because it puts pressure on us to front more money. Um, but in terms of kind of the deal itself, I, I'm not concerned. I, I don't think, I don't think it's an area of need for City. The only reason that City would do it, in my opinion, would be to take that target away from Arsenal, 
And then I look at that and I go, these are smart businessmen who have run a club very successfully for 10 years over that. They've won six out of the last 10 or seven out of the last 10 Premier Leagues, for fuck's sake. They don't they don't run their business model on just taking a target away from a rival. They run it on what's going to be the best for their squad building and for their future. And I don't think that's Declan Rice. They have Rodri. They have Calvin Phillips, who can take those minutes away from Rodri and is perfectly serviceable against certain, um, certain opposition. So... I think that whilst there was... Declan Rice is the best midfielder in the world on the market this summer. Man City were always going to have to be seen to be in the race for them so that it didn't just seem like Arsenal had a free ride or a free run and West Ham are running with it. But I'm... I Out of any of the deals, I'm not, I'm not particularly worried because it seems the player wants Arsenal. He would start at Arsenal. And... There's no guarantee of that at City, so I, I, I think this gets. I, in my opinion, I think it gets done. It's just going to take a long time, and that's exactly what we said at the start that this is going to be an uncomfortable summer because of all the business that Arsenal have to do, and we have to be ready as human beings to sit in that uncomfortableness and that that disquiet nature of these of these deals. Yeah, this may be a hot take, but I think. I think once you start viewing it through the lens of Rice's chosen Arsenal, things start to make a bit more sense. Because I think if you know for a fact that Rice has chosen Arsenal, then we have no rush. There's no need to go in with, you know, oh God, we need to get this deal done. Get the money done. Get your money out here, do Like that you don't need to go through that process because you know that the player wants you. So you can you can talk about structure of deals and come away. And something that, again, it's a great video I recommend, but something James mentioned is also Arsenal had to go and approve through the board and they're one of apparently they're one of the have they have one of the longest processes of sort of approvals through Tim Lewis and through Stan Kroenke and through KSC and all that sort of stuff which can sometimes be a bad thing but especially at the beginning of summers you get a lot of oversight and you get a lot of um people making that decision and it takes some time also you don't want to appear too desperate you don't want to go you know you get a rejection by the afternoon you've already sent over another adding on another 10 million. What's like West Ham will go, okay, well, how many times are we going to, we can just keep rejecting you until you stop essentially. So I think there's, a, I think I feel that City were probably abreast of the situation. West Ham were um, feeling as though, okay, well, we can leak that information to the media to say that they're reading a bid or they're interested or whatever. But interested just means what's the situation with Declan Rice. And I imagine that a lot of clubs have said, what's the situation with Declan Rice? You know, like how, what's the payment structure and whatever? How is he with, 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 um, you know, is, is he advanced with Arsenal, et cetera, et cetera. And I imagine a lot of clubs are abreast by Munich, et cetera, et cetera. But if you view it through the lens that Arsenal are the club that he's, he's chosen, essentially, once a player chooses a club, it's very, it's, it's very unlikely if they're paying the same amount of money that the player doesn't end up at that club at this you, you have to look at I why also, Bayern Munich haven't bid. Right. Because there's, yeah, that's, you know, what, that's there's, what I'm saying. Yeah. Why haven't they come in with an offer? Because it's, it's futile. It's pointless. It seems like once you start viewing it through the lens that he's chosen us, we're just essentially trying to hash out the best, the best details. And we're, you know, again, we're all worried about this third bid, but I'm, I'm, now of the opinion, having watched this video, um, no, but I was before, but you know, it's confirmed my beliefs that actually we're always in communications and it's just about how you structure the deal, etc. George, are you, I'd love your, your take on anything that we've just said, but also a point I wanted to make. 
the city thing I do feel is a negotiation tactic. I imagine they were probably abreast of the situation. I imagine that was leaked to the media as a way of panicking Arsenal because again, you you know, for example, if you're if you're Ed, you know Edu Gaspar or Richard Garlic, you don't know whether Man City made an offer or not, and they wouldn't tell you, and West Ham wouldn't tell you. So you know, you you, you don't know that. So you know, it's it's useful for them to. To, to believe that from West Ham's perspective. And I also look at that City squad and I wonder what your take on this as well. In the last 12 months, they've given out two contracts at the base of their midfield in Calvin Phillips and Rodri, Rodri's extension. And they've given out uh, three contracts in further up in midfield. Kovacic, Perone, whatever his name is, Peron, Ava Peron. <laughs> and um, that, is the Foden, nichest, pre- that is the nichest joke that not a single People, listener is going to get, Alex. Ava Peron I, is it? Ava Peron, you know who Ava Peron is, George. No. <laughs> okay. You sm- he smiled politely, so I thought he might understand. Unbelievably um, niche. <laughs> well, if you understand that, you, you're a niche musical theatre fan. Um, but anyway, yeah, as I was saying, you know, they've given out contracts, five contracts in, in if you believe he's going to play at the base or you believe he's going to play further up. I just can't see how it fits in their squad planning, especially when they're looking at a departure of, of Laporte, especially when they sign Kovacic. I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and especially when I see him uh, as more of a six. But let me let me shut up and let you actually speak. Yeah, um, I think that in regards to this deal, I've been quite calm. I've been purporting it for quite a while. And I just think that there's a lot of stuff going on. I think we had mentioned at the top of this kind of little segment that people were saying this isn't a FIFA game and this doesn't happen in real life. I actually want to kind of push back a bit. This does. If you've ever, if you're old enough to buy a house, a lot of what bids happen is going to is going to be very translatable to that process. So if you're going to buy a house, and I'm going to be showing my age right now, but like when you do buy a property, agents and real estate agents constantly will go and tell you there's been a bid in from somebody else. And you, oh, could yeah. have, you could have agreed the price on the flat, the unit, whatever you want to input about whatever you're buying. However, there are many times that you have to readjust a particular proposal. There's many times that real estate agents come in. There's many times you yourself ask below asking price value on the very first bid, which is something that fans lose their minds over on Twitter, saying, why don't you just go in with the right bid? Well, I'll tell you why, because then they'll raise the asking price. And if you yeah. do get a deal on the very first bid, it's typically because there's a leak in the basement that something is not been... You've offered yeah, too much. You've, you've offered too much. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so a lot of this stuff is is actually translatable to some of these real-life skills that I just think people don't realise. And, you know, from a West Ham... I used to work at an estate agent's, George, and I can tell you now as well, they lie. <laughs> I have been next to them before when they have called people who are trying to buy a house yes. and said, oh, I'm sorry, your bit of... 475 isn't going to cut it anymore. We've just had a bid of 500. No bids have come in. It's a lie. But it's just tactics. Clubs are going to do that. Like, it's... That should be illegal, by the way. As a <laughs> oh, 100%. That, well, I, that clubs, I, also, I understand it. I, I also think it be might illegal. be slightly illegal, but... Well, but at the base, guys, like, this is... But, but this is business, right? If you ever tried to sell your old car, same things happen when you put it on whatever website that you guys got down in the UK. We've got our own auto trader or whatever. Any. Also trading. Any. any, We buy any car. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not as like a sponsorship. Come sponsor us at the different off. But um, essentially, whenever you start to buy. We've got George. George is is on the sponsorship train. (laughs) George is plugging the pod. Plug Patreon. Plug it all. (laughs) Oh, God. But I mean, when you start to sell an asset like that, right? Like negotiations aren't a genuine 
kind of timeline of events. Let's put it that way. Media are the same way in terms of when Arsenal are putting their first bid in, in terms of even interest and when this registration happened. All this stuff is not happening in real time that the stories get released. Typically, they've happened quite a long time ago and the media is catching up. And again, I've said this in other pods, there's agent club and player interest here at heart from both sides here. And ultimately, for me, I've always felt that Sullivan is very, we actually know that Sullivan has used DeBarzio in the past, by the way, to use uh, as links. Like this is not an unknown relationship. Like they have used with other players, he has tried to use DeMarzio as a way to kind of a, to look at players, which I find really quite funny, but also in the past, he has used Marzio to kind of help him in negotiations. He's a very public CEO. And so I've always said that the rumored city bid was from a West Ham perspective. If you limit yourself to a one-horse race, you cut your knees off at negotiation because how can you claim a bidding war or claim a larger, a valued asset when only one person is pursuing it? It really limits you in that sense. And then Arsenal's perspective. And when the asset wants to leave. Well, of course. And he's made it clear he's not signing, he's not staying. And he wants the person that's coming to you to buy. Like, it's it's difficult. I get it from a West Ham perspective. But then Arsenal's perspective is, I just want to give some perspective here, guys. It's 14 days into the domestic window opening. When we talk about things not moving fast enough. 12. Or 12, sorry. Yeah, it's 12. Um, That is very short, guys. (laughs) Like, I don't know... The last we've time. got the Havertz still done. Sounds like we're getting timber done, and we nearly got Rice done. Well, that's what I'm saying. Out. Like I don't. That's I'm... basically our whole summer business. I can see us signing maybe one more player if we're lucky after that. And we're 12 days in, and there's people complaining. And, and I don't get it. And lads, like <laughs> how much business is that? Like that's 200 million pounds of business, guys. Like I don't think people are comprehending, like the size and the magnitude of what we have been able to move. And forgetting the contracts, by the way. William Saliba's done, due to be announced very soon. You've got Reese Nelson, Bakayo Saka. Like, have a look at what the incoming department has done, what Edu has done, Garlic. That entire team that everybody says is useless is about to secure £200 million worth of assets inside the first two weeks of the transfer window opening, in addition to signing on three to four key spine players on major deals when you've got, what, Mara's looking to leave and you've got Bakayo Saka looking like one of the top prospects in the world. That contract's looking mighty good right about now. Can you imagine mm-hmm. a little bit of registered interest? A little interest? hat trick you up. Well, so um, like, screen. I, we need I just, own steam bomber. We need it to slap. We need it to, oh my God, it hits different when it comes out of nowhere. Porn steam. Shut up, you weirdos, mate. No um, one can find that funny. I don't know how a single human being can sit there and watch a 50-year-old man prostitute himself on YouTube for views uh, and be laughing. I don't I know. Watched a, I watched a vlog of his the other day. It's so sad. <laughs> we are we are like on a level, I feel like you watch mental health in a sense happening in like real time at that point, yeah, which might be a little mean, but it's just look I, on the rice deal, just to conclude and like conclude the segment. Sorry, yes, keep interrupting you. I think essentially that Declan Rice. It's been rice, 18 minutes, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that Declan Rice is a deal that's in jeopardy. I don't believe that Arsenal are doing anything wrong. I think that coming in with a higher bid is logical that West Ham would have acted differently and asked, and asked for more money. Uh, renegotiations are happening at the base level. Like if you are of the belief that Alex and I share that same belief, but if Arsenal are one of the only people in the race, and even if City were to register interest, by the way, 
Do you not think that that price would be renegotiated at every impasse? And the fact that it hasn't should show people a little bit more. You know, West Ham are going to want to extract max value. So you came in at 10, they're going to ask for 12. You come in at 14, they're going to ask for 16. doesn't matter the number per se. They will always ask for 20, 30% more of whatever your first bid was. That's just logic. That's good business. So um, look, that was going to happen. Rice for me is not only going to happen, it is... Very likely this time next week, I feel that we're going to be talking about a certain carbohydrate being at the club and what that actually means after all the prop that we've done both on the pod and just in general. I don't think it's hit people, the magnitude of player that's coming. I have said, and I'll say it now and I'll save it for that pod, but for me, he is bigger or as big as Dennis Bergkamp coming to the club in terms of era-defining signings. I think it completely eclipses Ozil in terms of importance. Ozil was oh, one of the the, the public um, kind that's of... That's a hot take. Yeah, well, I think Declan Rice himself, and with time, when we start to look at the Mikel Arteta era, we will paint the success part of Mikel Arteta with Declan Rice. That'll be a bookend. And for me, it'll be as significant as you know Dennis Burkamp coming in. And I think, for me, he was the start of that era becoming very, very successful. You know, he came quite early, at least a year early before the major team arrived. And I think that we're going to be seeing a very similar thing with Declan. Um, and I do think that the Ozil was more of a, a kind of a public appreciation of the player, but I must admit a player that was towards the twilight of his career. He did come in my opinion for one or two years of top level quality, but he wasn't coming at the 21, 22 year old Werder Bremen Ozil when he was at the peak coming to Madrid. Like it was a, a different story. Declan it's coming not even at his prime yet. He's not done. He's still, he's still, look, he's arrived, but he still hasn't become the Declan Rice that I'm sure we will come to evaluate. So yeah, I'm very excited. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the other transfers in the pod because guys, like, again, we've got two players pretty much confirmed to have been very close, let's say, and, you know, whether done or not. Yeah. I'd love to discuss those next, but Brad, I want to give you an opportunity to come back on very quickly on, uh, you seem to have, you seem to recoil at the idea that Özil was. I think less it's, it's 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 a different type of signing, isn't it? Özil was already a the superstar. Özil, I think, is for the biggest transfer. Yeah. Yes, and I, 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 even in in the case of stepping down, stepping up, you look at what they've done with their careers so far. George is right. We, we haven't seen the peak of Declan Rice mm-hmm. and Ozil came when he was at his peak and then dropped off at the club after a couple of seasons. I think that's the difference, isn't it? Like we signed a superstar in Meza Ozil, like one of the biggest players in the world. And we're signing the potential superstar in Declan Rice. I think that that's the slight difference for me in terms of like profile. What, what does he rank for you guys like in world football? Like if I were to tell you, like for me, I've always said top three DM in the world. Like can you name beyond Rodri, who I still prefer Declan, but that could be a subjective bias. Uh, who is the other two or three best DMs in the world that would compete? Because I mean, you're looking at what Chuameni as an option, who again, hasn't had the sample that uh, Declan Rice has had. A Thomas Partey himself. Uh, you know, who is inconsistent and availability issues. And then what, a Casemiro? Are we putting that in there um, no. like logically? I, I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's a question of him not being a top three in the world in his position. I think it is that kind of bona fide superstar status of Ozil had won the World Cup. Mm. He'd won Champions Leagues. Like, 
he was massive. Mm. And it's it's that kind of superstar profile that I mean in terms of, and you mentioned it, it's like public, public. adoration of that signing yeah. rather than the, the true actual quality of it because signing Ozil pre him going to Madrid would obviously have been much better. We'd have got so much more, year, so many more years of his production rather than being kind of straddled yeah. with the, the years of his tail off. And I think football was slightly changing when Ozil came to us. Um, yeah, I, I think, to be honest, mate, I, I, I think Declan Rice is the best midfielder for Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. That's what I'd say. I think for Pep Guardiola's Man City, Rodri is the best six. And for Mikel Arteta's Arsenal, I think Declan Rice is the best best midfield option we can get, in my opinion. And that's why I love the deal so much. And that's why I think they're pushing so hard to get it done. So, And that's probably um, why City aren't pushing to get it get it done as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's, it doesn't because suit. It's, it's sort of what you said, George. Like, I do think it's era-defining. I think it's completely era-defining. I think, you know, I think people will see what a Rice... What a Rice is able to facilitate, the level of control he's able to facilitate in a Mikel Arteta team. And one of the most exciting things about Rice, and I don't want to turn this into a Rice podcast because we do need to discuss Timber and a few others, but one of the most exciting things is not even necessarily how good he is. It's the impact he's going to have on the forward players and the other players around him. That's genuine. Like, he he will take an Odegaard to the next level. He will take... um, Saliba and Gabriel like not necessarily take them to the next level but the structure and the stability he can provide is yeah I, I think that's he gives one of my a platform for the rest of the team to perform their talents Mikel has done that and said the same about Thomas Partey to a certain extent I just think Declan himself he gives a platform for those youngsters to be closer to goal to not have to do the dirty work like you've got somebody doing it and putting out those fires so yeah I, I'm with you era defining I'm excited, mate. I'm excited. I'll save it for the pod that we're celebrating rice. We'll be eating rice maybe on it. (laughs) I would say be excited. (laughs) Exclusive. Bomber. The Ornstein Bomber. From Fabrizio Romano. Uh, Arsenal submitted a second official proposal to Ajax in order to get your Timber deal done this week. Talks advancing between the clubs after a £30 million opening bid rejected. Supposedly it's it's around... 45 million euros which is probably about 38 39 million pounds um brad before we get onto the profile because george i'd love you to because i know you've watched a bit more of him so i'd love you to, to talk about him as a from a profile perspective for anyone who doesn't really know or understand his game but brad from a deal perspective and a squad building perspective how do you see timber fitting in um do you like it and you know yeah what's your what's your overall thoughts i love it mate i think from a deal perspective you look at the prices that are being thrown around for players nowadays and and if if it's you know if the, the the difficulty is with these purported figures is you never really know what the actual truth of the situation is and whether it's a 30 million guaranteed fee and then 8 million in add-ons or 35 million and three in add-ons with one night with Timber's mother chucked in for good measure do you know what i mean like it's such absolute bollocks. Uh, um, By the so way, I'm so sorry, to, so sorry to pause you, but just at this moment, I think it's perfect to mention this. If you haven't, go on my Twitter, and I there's a joke oh, yes, with the- Rohan, uh, one of the other con- contributors on the different knock, that he loves Leicester and he loves Rob Holding, and obviously he hates both of them. I, as a joke, put on saying Rob Holding has got a six new six year deal, like exclusive. Did it in the uh, David Ornstein um, format. And said that the reason he's getting the deal is because he does card tricks and can rap to lift the mood a little bit. <laughs> I think he got like three and a half million views or something. Like probably about a thousand quotes. And ev- I would say 
a strong 40% of the people quote tweeting it were angry as if it had, as if it had happened and, and and that is and that is obviously like a, a, an indictment on people's reading and the way social media works and whatever but what i'm saying is <laughs> the, the more interesting part of that for me other than it being absolutely hilarious to go and have a read through if you're on twitter but the more interesting part for me Brad is is that information now especially with the whole blue tick thing and you know people being able to buy stuff you don't know like we like we have so little oh yeah you don't know what awareness of what is reliable yeah. so the timber thing yeah. i mean could be anything and the difficulty with it as well is uh, i think I, I think we mentioned this on the last bonus so a cheeky another plug for the patreon but i'm going to mention it here anyway the, I really do think the reason that we do not know the structure of these deals is because all of the leaks about all of these deals are coming from the other side of the table. The reason that they're reporting the Kai Havertz deal being £65 million, whereas we've heard it's, you know, £17 million over three years guaranteed and then 15 in add-ons and this and that and blah, 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 is because all of these leaks are coming from the other side. They don't want you to know. They don't want you to know how much money they're paying up front. They don't, because again, it could weaken their hand. Like if you're finding out that they're paying 60 million for Kai Havertz up front and you're West Ham, you go, oh, so you value that at that much up front. Okay, we expect this much up front for Rice. So uh, like, I, I think it's really, really smart from the club and don't read into it too much. The reason that these journalists can't come out and say it's this much up front is because they don't know. They don't actually have any fucking foggy clue. But in terms of the timber deal with the, with the with the finances, the finances look good. You know, 38 million quid all in for um, what seems to be a very, very good, talented prospect who can invert it right back and cover at centre back. Or, you know, it gives us the opportunity to put Ben White back at centre back if we lose Saliba. I don't see a single problem with it. You know, there's there's rumours coming out that um, the wages are reported to be about 90,000 with bonuses and stuff taking it to 120. Seems to be in the ballpark of what we would have expected for a player coming in in that kind of squad hierarchical position. Um, I know very little about the player other than, you know, hashtag stats are green and he can invert. And, you know, we've, we've been talking pretty much all summer about having that option on the right-hand side. Um, he looks very secure on the ball, can carry well from what I've seen. But um, I have no problems with the price of of this deal, especially when you look at, you know, reported transfer fees going around for other players currently in the market. It's It, it seems like an absolute snip and it is, the, it is the benefit of creating a culture that drags players towards your club. If a player only wants your club and is only willing to move to your club because there were reported talks that um, Man United were interested and, you know, your clubs always want Man United interested because you can absolutely milk them for money. But if he only wants to go to Arsenal, you have to accept what Arsenal are willing to pl- to pay or you lose the player on a, on a, you know, on a free when the contract runs out. It's a, it's yeah. a good situation for us to be in. And George Brad picked up on it, but his numbers are crazy. Oh but, yeah, you know, like and, and as much as you don't, you never want to just like go on FB Ref and go on Sofa Score and be like, oh, he's a good player. Then you don't want to do that. But sometimes I think you can have a look at players on on those just you know just just on a pure numbers basis and go, oh my god, this is clearly a talent. From what you've seen, um, 
Brad mentioned the kind of inversion. I, I see that happening. I wonder if it's going to be a diff- in a different way. I don't think it's going to be in the kind of the zinchenko way. Um, but how do you see him fitting in? What do you see his profile as? And, and yeah, overall thoughts on the player? Well, yeah, like I've had the same arguments on Twitter trying to just uh, – well, not arguments. I think he, he will be able to develop into a different type of player and be able to invert in a way that Zinchenko can down the line. It's just I don't think people are understanding the type of player we've got now in timber where he can't quite do those things. I've said he's more of a third center back in a three, two with a proper pivot ahead, because in terms of what Zinchenko does, what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, not just receiving in midfield on a fluid half turn, like that's not the requirement of what Zinchenko does. He's also quite often receiving with opposition back to goal hitting him. And that's a very different way to receiving in the first line and doing a nice fluid half turn from a press from a striker. Like they're very different roles. And so for me, Timber is still somebody that's working on that aspect of playing inverted. So we won't be Zinchenko in terms of receiving in the half turn, turn face, fire between the lines. He's a lot more sturdy. He's also, I think, 10 times the defender of Zinchenko. He's quite tall. You know, um, people criticized him for being quite short. He's actually 5'11", almost six foot, you know, like he's not. And that is not short. It, let's be clear. It is not short. Right. Absolutely. Thank you, my 5'11 kings. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he he himself, it's it's really clear what Mikel's doing. He wants to add another alternate ball-carrying progressor in the back line who's got that dueling capacity to both step into midfield. That is what he's brilliant at. He is a roamer at heart. Um, you know, he receives the ball, and his first thought is to go forward. Now, at times, I feel some of the little critiques, you know, as a coach I'm looking at is he has a tendency to let the ball run across him on the half turn. And at times, that is also one of the things that I look at an inverted profile. You need to have that tight. If you're going to allow that to happen, it has to be more Romeo Lavia, more Santi Cazorla. Like there are players that allow that, but, you know, you need to have the ball under your control. He almost, it's a train. He kind of operates on instincts where he turns and he just runs downhill. Now, it's not always in control, but that kind of, um, you know, willing adventure is really nice in buildup. But when you start to get into midfield and you start to approach the final third, there's a certain cuteness and control that does need to be applied and a certain level of slowing down the tempo at times. And he just has one gear right now. It's go. Um, And look, that means it's really exciting because there's a lot of really cool, interesting footballing qualities. When you look at the FB ref, all of those passing stats are green. But one thing I will tell you is on long balls, it is something his technique struggles with at times. I find that he floats balls. A little bit more often he definitely sees the pass which is excellent but his technique in terms of striking through the ball still needs to be a little bit more worked on i think his best pass is this medium range on the ball between the line pass and what do i mean by that is when he's got the play in front of him and he's got about 10 to 15 yards of space with a pre-assist so maybe slipping in the wing back as they're approaching play to kind of for a cut back he's excellent at finding those passes uh but again, in tight spaces, I do think that he needs to work on some of the cuteness in terms of where, who to find in the final third and then slip balls, maybe reverse balls back. These are all things that Zinchenko does, by the way, in the inverted role that are just that next level up. Now, do I, am I saying that you know he can never become that player? Absolutely not. I think he's got excellent mental capacity. He's been a captain as well. That's another trend that we're looking at recruitment, by the way, between all the targets. Um, so he's got the mental capacity to become that player. I just think right now we're looking more at a third center back type player that could down the line do um, the inverted portion that we're looking for. And by the way, I made this first claim on Twitter 
there's a lot of qualities that you can look at between a timber and a caicedo to start to understand the the potential ways that that could be used down in the future. And what I mean by that is how somebody that you know is traditionally a backline player that does move in possession into midfield. Now, the only differences between those type of players, in my opinion, is um, namely the competency in defense. Like there is a different level of defensive sturdy sturdiness there. I think um, Timber is more of an ake right now. One v one battling, you're not going to pass him. But in terms of controlling transitions on the fly, like that is something that you know a proper midfielder in that position does a little bit better. Um, but he's going to be a combination between him and Rico Lewis. If people are looking for names about what to see, that's what I like to say. I think he's a little bit more ake now in strengths and cons, but uh, he will transform into a Rico Lewis, somebody uh, in, in that mold. Yeah, I think um, something that I wanted to pick up on was something that we, we've been talking about in terms of having the options to flip the dynamics mm-hmm. from last season. I think something, and Mikel, as always, is ahead of us and that kind of thinking is of course you want that option, but realistically, your hope is that everyone's fit. And when everyone is fit, it's not just about changing the sides. It's also about changing, okay, you know, broadly speaking, we when we invert on our left, we are more fluid. We have someone who's a little bit further up, who's a little bit more progressive. You can play those those types of balls that we're talking about with Zinchenko. And on the on the right hand side, if you flip the dynamics, it's slightly different. It's a little bit more sturdy. It's a little bit more compact. It's, it's a little bit better one v one. So I think like we we want that kind of analog to be able to flip the dynamics. But I also think it's nice to be able to have the two options that are actually slightly different from each other. They they sort of are doing the same thing, but they have different qualities, and that's and that's exciting to me. Um. It feels like that's going to get done. That was that was a sort of question. Hopeful look at both yeah, of you. Yeah, no, no, no. It, <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, it, it's approaching from, those from times. The, yeah, of like from the sounds yeah. of everything, it sounds like it. That like that's that. Do you know what I mean? It's the same with Kai Havertz. It's gonna ta- it's gonna take something monumental for that deal to not happen. Well, I mean, he's another um, player that has supposedly said Arsenal's the only one for me from yeah. very top tier sources again um and uh, look there's a there's the casual in me that's like i'd love to hear what mikel is saying to these players broadly yeah, speaking, oh my god because th- we're not just talking like okay hey, look declan rice is a separate entity because that's somebody that maybe you isolate as a superstar and you talk to particularly timber is somebody who is a very exciting prospect that has had a very close relationship with a rival manager that was absolutely expected to go there in terms of united and He's a little bit more open, and we've seen how that story went with Lissandra Martinez. And so I'd love to know what Mikel learned from last summer, because I do think that it's possible. And actually, not just Mikel, Edu, Garlic, like the team have learned from that mistake, in my opinion. And, you know, we saw how that happened. The one thing that I wanted to add before maybe you guys come in is also, I missed this in the analysis, but his superpower, by the way, is his half turn. Like if you watch Urian Timber, it is such a sharp turning radius he is able to receive and turn on a dime and i think that's really exciting going forward in terms of predicting him in midfield like that's the one trait i think the coaches look at and go okay that is the hardest skill to teach right now and he's got that on lock if i can just temper the way he carries and how much he carries you've got a really dangerous player down there um because he sees the pitch he sees the pitch he's got an idea of it um he just almost needs to not look at the ball while running in a sense. That's something that we coaches like to call where there's a player that is a dribbler and you need to keep their head up. This is one of the biggest issues with dribblers in general, whether you're in the back line, the front line, whatnot, 
he has a tendency to look at the ball while he dribbles and he needs to do a little bit more by keeping his head up and kind of seeing the pitch in a little bit better way. Um, and that'll allow him to release quicker. It'll allow him to find gaps quicker and it'll allow him to be able to control things a bit more because again, right now he's a very punchy player. Like, you know, he is somebody that is going to really explode in that first five yards, but sometimes I need a little bit of temperance. And he almost has the opposite problem of a Martin Odegaard who may hold on to things a little bit too long, but his first instinct is to recycle. Timbers is to release. And um, so we need to find that balance. And Martin's done a brilliant job of that the last season. But I think that similar pause development is going gonna, is gonna to be needed with Timber. You also have to look for me at the fact that how many clubs could do with another right centre-back right now? Oh, Fucking yeah. loads. Yeah. And this is one of the hottest prospects on the market who can play right centre-back and invert from right-back. Like that's the fact that we were able to to convince him so almost effortlessly to, to make well, us the first choice is, is is a big big prop to the, to the to like George said the entire team and what they've learned garlic Edu and Arteta. Well, what I find interesting is almost always with, when deals come out about Arsenal, there's some kind of commentary on how Mikel was instrumental in the deal. There was always there's always some kind of thing about how Mikel was important to convince the player, whatever. And I listened to uh, another thing I'm going to recommend is a Football Daily episode called "The Making of Mikel," which is really interesting. Goes back through talks to people from La Masia, talks to people from um, Everton, talks to people from all, all over his footballing career. And if you made if you made a word cloud out of that, uh, if you were in year seven and you're making a word cloud, an art class out of that um, out of that episode. The word in the middle would be clarity. That's what it would be. Clear. He was clear. His coaches, when he went to work at FA Wales, said he was, he's one of the most well-read and intelligent people they've ever seen. They, they think he was the most educated on football they'd ever seen in in, in their um, in their ranks. And they've had the likes of Thierry Henry come through. They've had the likes of Vieira, all sorts of people, like top, top level players. So it's, it's obviously impressive in terms of the pedigree he's got. And we know this guy's intelligent, but it's the clarity. Even when he was like eight years old, they said like he just knew when he was a kid, he'd say, I want to do this. He was very, very clear on what he he did. And I think extending that clarity and that energy that he brings into, you can see it in press conferences. He's very clear with his words. He's very precise with what he says. Bringing that clarity into talks with players must be really invigorating. It must be really exciting because, you know, like I, in my own personal life, I know if you're going for a job interview or, you know, um, I, used to, I used to be an actor and I recently stopped pursuing that. And when I went for sort of meetings with agents, when the agent could say on a very, very different level, the agent could say, oh, we see this for you. We can we can see your skills and your abilities and therefore we can put you into that. I think you feel very seen. And I think when Mikel can go, hey, I see your skill set. These are the things that you are good at. Here is the role in my team that you are going to play. Here's how I want you to play that. Here's the clear objectives and whatever. That level of clarity has to be really exciting for a player because ultimately they they are trusting you. They're trusting the club and they're trusting their family's future on this guy who's saying, here's what's going to happen. And if you hit all of these things, here's the outline, the objectives. If you do all these things, if you learn this, if you learn that, then you will play for me. And I think having that level of surety that he's clearly always had is is must be really invigorating. And yeah, I, I agree, George. I wonder what what's changed, whether whether something has changed. Maybe it's just we're a year on and we're in the Champions League and... You know, it's, it feels like a more exciting project. Well, that certainly is an aspect, by the way. And that's going to come out in our cells. 
by the way. Like, we have assets, but, you know, Arsenal themselves are becoming a club that's recognized and respected again. Let's have it right. So that definitely helps in negotiations. It gets more people at the table. But one thing that I'm just loving is the fact that I think these targets have all talked about how important Mikel is, and I agree with you, but I always like to relate it to real life because I feel as though football fans kind of just think football is the world at this point. But even when you go to a job, and you're going to go and you're going to, I don't know, you're applying for a new position, right? When you've got a potential boss, you're also interviewing them, by the way. Even though you want the job, you are interviewing your own employers. And the best successful relationships in a professional world happen when you've got a boss that cares about your development, that has a clear pathway for your own progression, and values your professional development. Like, these, mm-hmm. these are all both ways. Like, they're symbiotic here. Like, the player himself wants to come to Arsenal. He's going to help us as fans. But at the same token... Mikel is going to make him a player that is going to be respected in the game. And players look at that and they love it. And they love the clarity of thought. They love uh, the fact that they can envision that success. Because like you said, players have short careers, guys. What, 10, 15 years? So you got to make sure that you're maximizing that as a player. And so this stuff does matter, not just in terms of securing family future, but for themselves. You know, they're they're looking at the type of boss that they want to work for. And look, Mikel is very promising. How do you boys rate me as a boss? Yeah, you're right. Don't answer that. Ten out of ten. Don't don't answer that. Uh, Right, let's uh, let's go through to to the second part of the show. To quickly say, um, I don't know if we're going to talk about transfers anymore, but Arsenal fans need to calm down, man. (laughs) Like, what we are literally talking about nearly three of the biggest completed deals in the summer. Imagine being a Tottenham fan, and right now you're linked to Vicario. And that's it. I've never seen him play, but he's going to play for Spurs, so he's shit. Uh, We'll see you in the second part of the show after this. Today, we're all working to innovate and do more in our work days. But coming up with fresh ideas and quick responses can be tough. Give yourself a helping hand with Grammarly Go, a product that provides personalized generative AI communication assistance. From the company that changed the way you revise comes a product that will change the way you write at every step of the process. With just a few clicks, Grammarly Go can ideate, compose, and rewrite thoughtfully in response to messages and prompts. Struggling to come up with new ideas? Input a prompt and Grammarly Go will generate innovative suggestions to help you move your ideas forward. Have a block of text that doesn't sound quite right? Grammarly Go can rewrite it in different styles and in your personal voice until it's just right. And that's just the beginning of what's possible. You'll be amazed at what you can do with Grammarly Go. Go to Grammarly.com slash go to download and learn more about Grammarly Go. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash go. Welcome back to the second part of the show. Thank you to those of you who are in the Diffnock Members Club. Join at patreon.com forward slash Diffnock and get access to the exclusive Discord server ad-free versions of all of our content, including main and bonus podcasts, uh, which we post once a week, uh, instant reactions, the rewatch, and bonus video content for just £3 a month. If you want to support it, to buy me a coffee.com forward slash Diffnock, where you can buy me a coffee. The links are in the show description as well as George's name. Right. Rory Talks Ball says, would love some discussion on ESR now that we've seen him play a bit for the Young Lions. Can he get back to the level needed to play for Arsenal? Question mark. Where he fits in next season, can he play the left eight? Bradley Adams, please. Can he get back to the level? Yes. 
I mean, he was what our, one of our top goal contributors, not last season, the season before. He's had a lot of trouble with injuries. and a top scorer, this, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, you know, Bukayo no. edged him like towards the end of the season. Oh, yeah. But yeah, for eight yeah. months, he was top did, goal scorer. Did he do? Dirty bastard. Um, <laughs> Getting kids. It, it's, yeah, no. I Of course he can. He's shown that level for us. Um, I mean, whether he does is another question because it's about the opportunity and, you know, that's a, it's a very stocked position. Um, I, I think he could definitely play one of the eight roles. He could also, you know, I, I, I've always wondered, it, it would be really interesting to train him as a false nine, especially because he's, he's tall and is very, very efficient in terms of like finishing. So if you had, say, Gabby Jesus and, and Trossard teach him that role, that'd be something I would be very interested in seeing. Um, I mean, you don't, you don't sell now for the, for the sake of one bad injury laden season. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a unique profile. We don't have anywhere else. So why are we going to, why it's, it's the classic football fan dilemma of tossing the old toy in the, in the bin because we've got some new ones that's going on right now. But I, I think it'd be so silly to sell, especially because I don't think we'd extract value from it. The the true value of what he's worth. Yeah. And I think with Champions League football next season, I think that could be really exciting for him. I, I've also been of the opinion recently um, that he's he's lost confidence. I think a lot of it, and I, I, um, I remember something Brad said years ago, was we've got to be careful of not labelling everyone a confidence player. Everyone is affected by confidence, of course. But I do think Smith Rowe, especially within his body, in terms of his body mechanics, in terms of how he's he's going into challenges, how he's riding things, he had that kind of fearlessness, and I think that has gone with his uh, with his time on the sidelines. So I just think he needs some time. Um, but look, I, even as you say, Brad, like you know, there, there's a there's a value thing here as well. Like we've got to build up his value again. Like it, we we probably you know we're not getting 30, 40 million from Aston Villa this summer if we sell him. So um, maybe we are. Who knows? Uh, George, your thoughts on Emil Smith show? Uh, I've loved this player for so very long. I still remain. He is one of the biggest talents in the oh, squad. George, uh, I knew about him in 2007 when he was five. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little young even for me. It's four, mate. Come on. Um, yeah, know, come on. <laughs> you know, look, for, for me, fundamentally, I ask questions about does he offer a redundancy in the squad? Okay. I always try to look at the uh, alternate view because I appreciate that we all have our favorites, right? Like, I love Emil Smith-Rowe. I love that type of player, that short, bursting, um, central running power. Bingo. Um, like, he he is the epitome of my kind of player from a coaching perspective. But also, I like to look at the devil's advocate from somebody maybe that doesn't appreciate that type of player. Um, and those are typically people that like your Goodigans, your Tempo Control, your Odegaard. Like, they're a different type of player, and I understand that. But the one thing that I always like to ask myself is, does the person, regardless of your subjective likes or wants, offer something unique to the squad. And yes, he does. You know, when you're talking, I think when Rory is talking about that tournament, guys, there are a couple goals in there that he scored two and two games that are phenomenal. And they showcase exactly what his talent are. And by the way, something that we don't have in the squad, that kind of one-touch link-up play to attack the space is so Wenger ball. It is not something, I think Saka has it, but there's nobody that has that instinct like Emil does. And he's been doing it since a, ch- since a child. He creates the space, not just in terms of the shot, but in terms of making himself an option between the lines. And that is something that I always push back on when people say, can he play eight? 
Well, if you look at his actions before the, the superstar goal, you will see it. I mean, the way that he moves in order to maneuver that space for the shot is brilliant. Then at the top of the box, the touch to create it and the short back lift. Who in our squad is able to do that consistently at the top of the D, by the way? El Nani. Um, yes. And so, yes. Um, the Lord and Savior himself. So, yes. Again, he offers something that isn't a redundancy. And then when you start to go into it, guys, I hate the fact that we talk about Emil as if he is some 26-year-old player that we've known quite well. Um, you know, he is very young. He's still himself able to learn and try to add new bows. But look, the the medical thing, I'll touch on it really quick. It frustrates me. I'll be very frank. I think fans talk out their arse about what kind of diagnoses and timelines and what they expect. For a little bit of context, what may, what Emil has been going through is a growth maturation issue that is not caused by football. This is not caused by something that he did. It's not caused by an action on him is simply growing into his body and is something that he's had to work through quite a bit. It's a very difficult injury to rehab, I might add. And secondly, like when you start to come back into it, the freedom that he may experience from no longer fearing that pain, and it may not even be restrictive, but just the mental aspect of getting over the injury, Alex, you make a great point, is a huge part of rehab. We have an entire rehab section, by the way, that is dedicated to, it's a fancy word, but neuroproprioception. What it comes down to is teaching your nerves how to move again. That is the very basics of it. And it's not because your nerves don't know how to move. It is because you have stopped that aspect and that process from moving for so long that your body needs to be retaught that, those things. So if that can happen at the most basic level of injury, I would just temper fans' adjustments when you've got somebody that's been dealing with this for the better part of two years. And He's made use of it, by the way. And the one thing that I do want to talk about is, yes, the application, because there's been a lot of gossip claims about lack of trust, application, and whatnot. Let's just look at the facts about what we've received from Arsenal. They were forcibly telling Emil Smith-Rowe to stay this year. I think that's significant. If we were on the opinion that maybe there's a question mark on his talent and application, you certainly wouldn't be so firm in telling him that he is staying and not being put on the market. That's number one. Number two, when you see he has been on vacation, he's hiring a personal trainer himself prior, and then he's going to the U21 tournament. Guys, Emil Smith-Rowe is a full-fledged senior England international. He did not have to go to the U21s. That was a decision by himself to put him in a position to play and to get ready for preseason. Like, if you're talking and being fair about mental attitudes, isn't that what you would want from somebody that's on the sidelines? Like, if you were asking me, show me, that you're ready to take this opportunity again by the scruff of the neck. What would you do? Hire a trainer. Make sure you're ready for preseason. Get into a tournament that most people maybe ego-wise would say, well, I'm in an England international. Why do I have to make the step down and work with the U21s? He didn't do any of those things. And you know what? He's having good performances. He started with a bright cameo in the first game. And look, the first half, I'm going to be fair, it wasn't great in his second game, but the second half was. And so he's working himself back to fitness. He's becoming important, scoring important goals. And I do agree that the confidence that this will do for him. Two and two is a strong way to enter the preseason. Let's say you have a strong showing in that tournament and you approach preseason. We're looking at Emil with a very different lens to the end of the season, which was, I don't know what you're about. I don't know where your head is at. Whereas we're coming into preseason knowing, okay, we've got a focused player right here that's coming off the back of a great tournament. He is ready. And by the way, in terms of the left eight, 
he's made it very clear in interviews recently about where he sees himself best. And I don't think it's coincidence that that is as an interior. He's made specific points about that. And that is him, guys. Like for all the stuff that people view him as a left wing, a false nine, and the versatility he offers at his core, Emil is an interior option. And it's fair to question the intent because you're buying, I'm sure we haven't got to him yet, but a Havertz and whatnot. It is fair to question those long-term potentials with these players in the squad, but I just think he's doing all the steps properly. Let's evaluate the outcome instead of maybe subjecting yourself to recency bias, whether you're for the player, in my sense, or you're not in in the other side. Yeah, I think... um... Only really two points to add to that. I think, firstly, Smith Rowe must be looking at himself or looking at this team and going, well, hang on a minute. If Xhaka and Partey are going, there's something there for me. Mm. You know, especially if I can come in in pre-season and I can be fit and ready and, and sort of raring to go from day one, from minute one. You know, who's, who says those Lavia talks aren't postponed or, or you know, the Caicedo conversations or, you know, if, if the Gundogan situation had rolled on, whoever, you know, Kudus, whoever you believe Arsenal are targeting in that slightly further forward role. I think Smith Rowe can, can look at himself and go, yeah, there's a there's a a very clear role there that I could I can step into, even just for preseason. And I think the other thing is as well, like we always we always talk about development. And we know it's not linear and we go through it and we go, yeah, well, but players development is not linear and they go in and out or whatever. And then it comes to it and we want to chuck them away. And I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm concerned about Smith Rowe for sure. But I, I think <clears throat> until I'm, until I'm absolutely sure that we can't look at his body as a, as a concern and, and, you know, and he's working back through rehab until there's nothing else other than his application and his profile that we can talk about. I'm not interested in conversations about moving him on. So, um, yeah, I think he's. I think he's certainly got a role to play. Brad, anything to add on? Good. No. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I'll give you this question, please, Bradley. From Prosper seven three four three seven four eight five. That is my mobile number. <laughs> Somebody give it a call. Or give him a ring. <laughs> Is that, that's clearly someone who's put in my name is Prosper and then they've Twitter's gone here's your name then uh, Prosper has said could Lukonga revive his Arsenal career because Lukonga is a player who I would say 85 to 90% of Arsenal fans probably think he's going to leave this summer is probably someone who Arsenal fans think uh, didn't quite work out etc etc but I look at that and I look at him as a profile and if I'm thinking about him as an eight and I'm thinking that there's a bit of a slot there potentially as a even as a rotation option, I have to be fair then and say, is there something there for Lukonga? And I watched a video of him, like all of his touches or something against City or someone the other day. He, There's something there. There's something there with Lukonga and I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm not sure it's at Arsenal, but there is something there. But yeah, what do you think, Brad? Um... Listen, of course it's possible. Of course it is. Like, um, it all depends on how business pans out in the summer. And if, for example, we decide to let Thomas Partey go and don't then decide to bring in a a Romeo Lavia, Romeo Lavia or somebody else, there's, a, there's of course, a squad position there for him that he could pick minutes up in. The only thing that I will harp back to is, you know, we we gave him... Uh, I think the way that that 
we not and I don't mean this in a negative sense, but the way that we we used him and treated him, not the summer before last, showed what we thought of him. And the fact that we were willing to play El Nenny over him and that we were willing to put, you know, people in 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 not the right positions to find a way to to not have him in the team um kind of shows what we were what what we thought about his abilities at the time if he'd gone to palace and uh vieira had stayed and he'd had a good 6 months i think the outlook is a bit different but i just i don't see and we're a very different club now we're not you know, we're a club looking to challenge for titles, not challenge for Champions League. The le- the 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 bar has raised. I don't think he meets it. And with you know rumored interest from from his old manager at Burnley, I, I don't. I think we're more likely to see an exit than we are to see him stay. Especially because we are going to need to generate some funds with the amount that we're looking to to outlay this summer. Um, there's a player in there. There's definitely a player in there. I remember watching him against Newcastle play the six um, when Martinelli scored that unbelievable goal and thinking, yeah, there's there's absolutely a player in there. But I don't think that's at Arsenal. And I don't think that's... I don't think the player in there is also at the level that Arsenal are going to need in the future. So I'd probably move on if we can get the money that we paid for him back hmm. from a Burnley. Yeah, there's there's something interesting there with I wonder what Arteta's plan was because you know it was someone he I imagine he probably bought him at when did he bring him in 2021 and I've long been of the opinion that I think Arteta saw 23-24 as the first season we were properly challenging for the title because I think he came in 1920 and put out a five-year plan essentially so by the end of 2024 we'd be there or thereabouts. So he's buying Lokonga in 21 and I imagine he's thinking this guy's probably good enough for me to get top four and we'll see as he develops whether he's going to be... Um, make the jump. Make the jump. And and realistically what's happened, I think, is we've gone quicker than he's developed. I think there's a player in there, as you say, Brad. I, I just can never get past the fact that he just feels a bit languid to me. And I think about that quote about from Mikel where he... Um, where he talks about physicality, especially in the midfield, it's that bite and that aggression and that someone who's who's just got who's just got a bit more snap in their actions. I don't see that with Sambi, and I think he's not so technically gifted that you can kind of he just never he's never he never needs to be snappy. Like you know he's not so good. You know the the sort of Tiago Alcantara levels where you just like doesn't matter. Like you could you know whatever. So yeah, there's a player in that. I just I think I wonder what Mikel's plan was with him. Um, because as well, I always always think we think of players, especially when we sign players at his age, and we think like, oh, well, they're they're the future of the position. They're cornerstones of the team. Yeah, they're cornerstones. And, and actually, I imagine there's a lot of thinking of like, well, we'll see how it goes for the next couple of years. You know, let's let's see how this guy goes. Even, even, you know, I think there's players like Declan Rice who think they're almost almost certain to be still in. Hopefully, if, if the if the plans uh, goes as, as, as planned, uh, he's almost certain to be in the team in three or four years' time. But players like Tavares and players like Sambi appreciate Sambi was a bit more of a financial risk, but I imagine they probably thought they could make the money back on him at least. They probably just go, let's see. You know, let's, That's let's the get thing him as let's well. work with him. How much do you let an asset depreciate contract-wise by loaning them out so they can realise their potential value for the sake of it? Yeah, well, that's that's the dance, isn't it? And like, you know, someone like a, a, a Tavares, I imagine they probably thought, let's bring him in, keep him around for a bit. If he's not at the level, take, send him out in January. 
and you know he'll he'll fit in somewhere. So as long as we choose the right loan, there's there's definitely a player in there. And I think there's a timeline where we get. Uh, maybe we could talk about Tavares. I mean, do you see do you see any hope of him, George? At, at Absolutely Arsenal? not. Um, one that thing, man is a loose cannon. One thing that I've learned on Twitter is that in order for people to hear the negatives, you have to <clears throat> start positive. Um, no, I, I I don't see anything with him. Um, you're all right, mate. You're right. Yeah, you're, you're all right, buddy. Fuck it up. <laughs> little <clears throat> little frog in the throat there. Sorry. No. Yeah. Um, okay, T- Tavares. I believe there's a physical potential there that is um, exciting. That's what he was bought for. The risk of eight million pounds was the physical potential of what he could offer. Um, the the issues that I've got with both him and Sambi, by the way, they're more football like you. Um, when you talk about being snappy, Alex, I see that urgency when Lakanga is in possession. When he is in possession of the ball um, and he wants to progress the play, he is snappy. He's punchy with his actions. And then as soon as the the play shifts, there's a shift in his own mind and he isn't up for the fight. And you don't have to be physical. I just need to see an urgency to want to get back. Let's get back into position. You know, Jorginho himself is not is probably the epitome of the most unathletic profile in the squad. Why is it that he's able to offer so many interceptions? And he's somebody that has urgency on the ball as well, by the way. Like, that's the difference. And it's not experience. And this is the one thing that I always temper with people when you're starting to look at scouting and stuff. This is a mentality issue. And when you're approaching Sambi's age of 23, almost 24 in October, having played quite a few, quite a bit of games at the top level. Like, I don't think he's somebody that came out of nowhere and Anderlicht and, you know, in terms of his play, like he has come through a pretty recognized league. It's not somebody that's coming from, you know, Brazil, from out there that we didn't know about. I just think we're running out of time for what he could be. And I've always felt that he's this Alex Song type of player, um, which, you know, is great if you can realize that potential. But is he better than, um, you know, uh, an Miles Lewis Kelly in two, three years. I don't know. Is he better than even the current crop? Uh, an Emil Smith Rowe, a Fabio Vieira, a potential Kai Havertz, a Odegaard, a Declan Wright. Like when you go through those profiles, guys, we're naming seven people. Like at some point, we need to sacrifice. And we're looking to add Romeo Labia, by the way. Like if I was a 6'8 in, in the squad, I'd worry. You're getting rid of two, we're potentially buying two. So when you have a look at it, it's going to be... Has George... Wait. Yeah. Has Alex gone? Yeah, he's going to come back. I think his internet's a little bit wonky. But... Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. We're gonna, we've taken over the pod. But look, I think when you start to scout Just player, me and you, baby. Yeah. Well, when, when you look to scout a player like a Tavares, a Lakanga, and we start to decide what kind of person or player that they can become, one of the biggest things that maybe a scout or a talent or a coach, whatever you want to call them, is looking at in terms of evaluating it is their ability to reproduce actions, abilities, talent um, over multiple game states. And they don't rely on maybe, um, you know, a good spell of possession. They don't rely on what um, you may characterize as a good environment. They, they constantly look at how do they perform in environments that they struggle in? How do they perform in not doing those actions? And are they able to consistently get over that hump? Aaron Ramsdale is a perfect example, by the way, of looking at a similarly talented prospect in quotes or unquotes, but his mentality in terms of his actions in a mistake and whatnot 
are phenomenal. And that's why they choose to take the chance and why maybe you can predict some talents that are chances work and some chances that don't work. And so just for me, um, you know, I kind of look at these players as talented for different reasons, but ultimately both share that mental gap for me where they struggle to perform actions in all environments. And that just for me is a non-negotiable of talent. I hear you. I, uh, I went out of the studio because my internet went out, but I'm sure you made some great points. Uh, yes. Caught the end of it. Um, <laughs> was it good, Brad? It was very good. Very it was so good. good. In fact, I didn't even notice you'd gone because I was looking at Sambi's statistics. <laughs> uh, let's do a few more questions from Gideon. Hello at Diffnock. Question on Balligan's situation. I appreciate we're in a situation where the superstar wants to start, but we can't start him. That got me wondering, how are City able to keep their big egos, Foden, Grealish, happy with low minutes? Is it to buy into the project? Um, I'm not sure they're big egos necessarily, but I see what he means, sort of big players. Um, I think this is all about squad building and all about how you how you approach things and making sure you have a sort of core of maybe 16 or 17 and accept that probably every year maybe or every other year when you're in the position that City are in at the top and, and you're just refreshing really, you're just adding on top and there will be a few that you cut away. This summer it seems to be Laporte and they're adding on top with Guardiola. You know, that will happen as long as I imagine Guardiola is there, I imagine the current structure's there every single summer. There may come a time when Foden's not in the team because he's not suiting what's going on and he's he's sort of 15 or 16 out of out of 16 or 17 in the squad and he decides it's time to move on. Gundogan's going, so they're going to have to add in. It's, it's about layering on top. And I think like with Balogun, I think if if we layer him on top, I think he sinks a little bit, personally. I think he sinks to probably number 14 or 15. And I don't think that's what he wants. So I think we're going to have to, to move on from Balogun. Um, and if we want to be able to uh, challenge at the level of City, we need to be adding players who come in as one or two. You know, we need to be adding a, a, a Rice and a Havertz who will come in as, you know, first and second names on the team sheet, I think. Um, or certainly, you know, top five. So um, I think that's how you've got to do it. And then you, then you chop away from the bottom of the list. I think that's how City do it. And I think at the moment, Foden's probably 12, 13. And I think Grealish is in the top 11. Um, and it depends how long Foden's willing to, to deal with that. Either he moves up the list by his own merits and, and, and the team starts to move towards him or for whatever reason, or he goes and they add on top. So I, I just think that's how we have to think about it and not in terms of two positions, just try and get that core 15, 16 that can, that can do the job for you and look at our... Because if we think about our fifth, what's our fifteen? It's like the first, the first team that we had last season. We're possibly getting rid of. Well, two Xhaka, of those so are pretty... almost gone. <laughs> like it's a yeah, big change. We're possibly yeah. getting rid of Jacket. I feel like we'll get rid of Partey. So we've got nine basically. We're then adding in Rice, Havertz, and um, Timber. Or, or let's say for the sake of this argument, so that's that gets us up to twelve. I think you know the likes of Turner also are in that in that first fifteen. I think uh, Smith Rowe is, but then beyond that. Nelson is probably on the edge and, you know, he, he, I think this is his kind of season to prove himself. The likes of Kivior and Tomiyasu were in the first 15, I think, or first 16 or so. And then I think the likes of Smith Rowe, as I say, and Vieira are probably still in that first 15, 16. Um, and yeah, the like, I think the likes of Nketiah, Trossard, Nelson, um, 
those kind of players are at the bottom of that list at the moment. And either they move up or we layer on top and, and, and they go. So I think Trissard is, a, I think Trissard's probably a little bit ahead um, more than other people, just because the way we used him towards the run-in was in so many different positions for a new signing. Like I, I get he's experienced and he offers a versatility, but he was the one that Mikel trusted to maintain fundamentals, even in a new environment and position, right wing, center, like false nine, left wing, touchline winger. Like, he, he's definitely somebody that I think was bought to allow us to make a decision on Nelson. That's something that I still think is a question mark. Um, you know, we talk about extensions and, you know, there's rumors whether or not he's entertaining other offers. And I, I, that's like transfer window gossip. But fundamentally, he's a player for me that is looked to have made a step up last season, Nelson. Um, but, you know, we, we're not sure uh, of that situation. So you bought a security in that versatility role in uh, Trissard. And um, look, there is always a new player in preseason. You're Gideon Zillalem that everybody loves. And I'm interested to see who comes in. I have my preconceived thoughts on who that is. But- Miles. <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> Skelly. <laughs> the one and only. The man, the myth, the legend. Um, but uh, yeah, th- there's always um, a youth that's going to come in. But you know what, mate? Like, I think we have to have a look at the squad. There is an insane amount of trimming that has to be done. And then even after that, I think the depth is becoming a lot more clear than what people may think. When you look at Turner, Timber, Tomiyasu, um, Vieira, Emile Smith-Rowe, right? Like, I don't know what's going to happen to Eddie, but, you know, Trissard, Nelson, Jorginho, that's a decent bench, you know, um, in, in, in terms of alternates from the starting 11. And then we do got to see what happens with Partey and what the replacement might be, because I will be honest, if I were to compare Lavia and Partey, that is a difficulty. No matter how talented I believe the individual is, like we have to be frank about um, the overall experience gap about what we're Lavia's doing. Lavia's on there. my bench, personally. Lavia's yeah. on my bench, um, ideally. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's a hard one. I, I think with Trossard, I mean, the Trossard thing makes me think about the Mudrick thing. And I wonder, this is maybe a, a slightly separate thing about maybe the club just have targets that they see and it's not about any winger it's about getting the winger that they see as the next the next thing but i did find that interesting because you know we got we went very hard for mudrick clearly in january as well which is not what we like to do deals um went in for that player who is you know what and i think this is you know mudrick is a perfect example of why environment is so important and coaching is so important and putting them in the right system is is so important but Brad, like, do you see us moving for, not Mudrick, well, maybe, but do you see us moving for that profile of winger? Because I find it interesting, you know, I, I put this on Twitter the other day and I said, I find it interesting that we we went so hard for Mudrick, then we went and got, got Trossard for that sort of fee. And I think the idea that we're not going to go back in and try and do something in that, in that, of that ilk again would surprise me and maybe we're just waiting for the right player to come along and people say oh you, we signed Trossard and I go yeah that's fine but Trossard is a close combination for me interior player who can play on the outside he is not you can't pretend Trossard is an analogue he's not a push and run winger yeah it's he's not, not a push it's and run like, winger is they're it? not the same so we went really hard in for that indicating that Mikel thinks that that is a gap in the squad is it Nelson's development is it how, how do you see that playing out I, I don't see it playing out this summer if I'm totally honest, I think if we sign a, a forward slash wing option this summer, it'll be on the right hand side rather than the left hand side. Um, it, it, it's the, it's kind of the one perplexing thing about that whole situation is I look at that and I go, 
where's the squad space for it now? Um, and like you say, I think it is, it's a mixture of, you know, having Trossard there, Nelson's development, what we want from our wingers. I definitely still think it's it's a gap in the squad. And maybe there's a question about whether we we try and, and get that push and run winger on the right-hand side rather than the left-hand side. And, you know, we've been linked to players like Musa Diaby and, and such. Um, but I think with the clear outlined priorities this summer, I wouldn't expect to see that Mudrick analogue come in this summer because there's just more important things to do rejuvenating the midfield especially with the the possibility of losing both Xhaka and Partey um it just it's absolutely something i could see happening next summer though it's still a want of the um, squad right like we've rejuvenated yeah, defense it's, midfield this summer and next summer's attack yeah i could i, I could 100% see you know Trossard leaving and maybe even a Nelson leaving next summer and bringing in a, a, a high-profile push and run winger on the left-hand side, or we might do it on the right-hand side. It, it, it's it's really dependent and up in the air. And maybe we've just decided because we have Martinelli and Nelson and Trossard for the left, maybe we look for that profile on the right. And maybe that's a next summer job rather than a this summer job. And we we hamstring the forward line together when Saka's not there with a Gabby Jesus out on the right and Enketia or Havertz through the middle, say... You know, um, there's there's lots of options that we could do to kind of maintain that for a season and then see what happens next summer. But um, yeah, I I I I don't really know. It is it's one of those it's one of the most confusing things that's happened around Arsenal in kind of the last twelve months is that we, you know, we went to the tune of eighty million quid on on a profile yeah. and then haven't bought that profile. Yeah, <laughs> which which to me indicates that there that there is a very specific. That they saw something in that player, and I think this is something that we maybe think about is like and a quality think, level as well, isn't it? A quality level, yeah, of course. And and that's the thing. Now we're shop. I think before we might have had loads and loads of players who fit into a certain you know sort of almost box, and we go, well, we, we're trying for this guy. But you know, let's say like take take the the inverted left back last last season, or the you know the the new the new left back position last season. I think there's probably four or five players on the list that we were trying to put that into the team, and we're like, right, well here's our list let's get down, go down that we'll go for Martinez okay it doesn't work out let's go for Zinchenko that works out fine and I imagine it would have been carrying on but I think from there when you're getting to title level challenging it is about profile of course but I think you can start to adapt for players who are of that elite level caliber like if a Haaland level talent comes along you don't just say well he's not exactly the profile no you just change how you play like that's how good he is like you have to slightly change how you how you set up and how you adapt and so you might have to shift someone around or whatever because of the level of talent so i wonder what they saw in mudrick and i wonder whether at some point maybe they go back in specifically for mudrick who knows but you know like rafinha we haven't gone back in for a a right-sided attacker since then you know that 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 sort of that sort of side of the attacker so i wonder whether it's now we're shopping from the top table we're starting to look at a proper elite level talent rather than necessarily hyper focusing on profile because we have the structure a bit more now. well well i talked about this really quickly on twitter in a, in a thread a couple of days ago where there i was is. like there's a common um, there's a common thread of positionless recruitment lately okay and fans need to get used to describing broad traits of a system as it evolves and it's a callback to one of my favorite phrases that you know i kept doing when i first started on twitter which was zones over formations i've kept trying to teach people that you know, as a coach, and we look at modern positional football, it's we need to stop. Tough life, knowing ball, isn't it? 
<laughs> it's difficult because I think that people look at FIFA and they think that's how the game works. And unfortunately, coaches look at areas of the pitch and say, how can I combine qualities to create the outcome that I've got? They don't look at saying, I've got a fullback and he must be a fullback that does the role there. Um, that's not how, you know, we look at the uh, uh, kind of the environment of football. And, you know, you look at Saliba, White, Rice, ESR, Saka, Martinelli. What are these players? You know, some people think every one of those players that I've mentioned, by the way, has versatility and question marks. Could they be a right back? Could they be a center back? Could they be a striker in Martinelli's case, a left winger? You know, Saka, by the way, still could become a number eight down the line in three, four years. Would not surprise me to be a Clarence Seedorf type you know, after he's completed his right wing journey, you know, like all those players, they have that positionless recruitment. And, you know, Urian Timber, by the way, is another ball carrying profile with elite spatial awareness. Um, that's another player. Is he a right back? Is he a center back? Is he an option at DM? So I just, I just think that, you know, when we look at stuff in the attacking department, you're not going to see analogs to profiles there because I don't think that Arsenal are moving towards analogs of, a player or formation, but they're looking to analogs to maybe some fun, non-negotiable fundamentals, right? And uh, and I do think that when you look at a winger, what they do want, if it, the one common thing I will say is they want somebody that is um, quite elite in one v one dueling um, in an offensive sense and very efficient in the final action. Those are two things that whether you want that in a winger, by the way, or a striker. That is the trait that I think that they're looking for in the marquee uh, signing when we look towards the next season. It doesn't have to be winger, doesn't have to be striker, but it does have to be somebody that's efficient in final action, that is very good 1v1 in an offensive setting, and wins their duels. Now, that could be physical if you're looking at an awesome type physical striker, or it could be in a Mudrick in terms of what is he like in a 1v1 scenario, because for all of Mudrick's talents, the one thing that I think people are going to label him, which he isn't, is he's somebody that is composed in 1v1 situations. He's low in confidence right now, and you're not seeing it, but he's got excellent efficiency in his final action. Everything before that, project. But that is something that's really good. Rafinha, same kind of thing, by the way. His final ball delivery, one of the best in the world, by the way, from that touchline ball. Efficiency of final action is excellent. Very good 1v1 dueling. So, that's something that I'm seeing as maybe a pressure point. Um, and we do need our killer. I've said it for a while. We need a killer. We, do. we need to find one and preferably I'll not one that makes men. a Netflix documentary. I'll see men. I'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, loads of other questions I wanted to get to. We're running out of time a little bit here. I wanted to talk about Gabrielle in the wide channels i wonder whether we're going to see gabriel at left back again in you know inverted commas out of possession next season that's something i'd like to talk about but let's finish on this question and it is this for you bradley okay oh where's it gone oh here it is from wolf afc well, he says who from i'm gonna say one give me one player from past arsenal teams that you think would be an ideal profile or tactical fit for Arteta's system. I want one player, and I want you to tell me the role from the team last season that you think they could have played um, and and done well from a previous... Thierry Henry at centre-forward. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the most tapping... It's no, no, the, it's the easiest answer ever. It's come on, like, come on. Unbe- unbelievable um, combination play, brilliant with the ball at his feet. 
could run channels unbelievably well, an absolute clinical demon. Yeah, hipster, Brad. Stop just no, saying the I right mean, like, answer. It's like it's it's the <laughs> it's the biggest tap in ever. Just him, like of course. But if we're going to take you know the greatest pr- player that the Premier League's ever seen off the table, um, oh, uh, it makes the question a little a little more difficult. Can I? Because I wonder how many of those players would can I go thrive first, in the so current George system we're it. playing. But yeah, you go first. Bakary Sanya and Ben White's role. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a good I one. think I think he I think he'd really suit that sort of not tasked with too much going forward. Uh I think he's I think he was slightly better because of obviously because of his more traditional fullback position defending wide. I think it would have been really nice in the three. Obviously, I think you lose something progression wise because of the, the way the game's played, but I think Sanya would have been top class in that in that role. Um mine's Freddie Lundberg. I think he would, you know, he one of the most efficient players Arsenal have ever had, completely underrated, um, would be great on the on the right hand side. Um, okay. You know, uh, again, like it's it's difficult because you you have to look at the fact that we currently have a very stacked squad. So who do you, the the centre forward option is one of the easiest places to go because Gabby Jesus feels like the most interchangeable person one, within this squad. There's one player that I'm I'm actually surprised, uh, Aaron Ramsey. In the Granite Chaka role, in the left eight, yeah, yeah, that did that did come into my head. Yeah, that did come into my head. Built for but him, you know, those second man runs. You know, somebody that is dueler, he would combat. He had an engine on him, um, and just if you could just restrict him to that role, could you imagine if you know Mikel was his coach, oh, like years 35 ago, thirty five goals a season. It's just yeah, if there was a role built for somebody, it was the Aaron Rams. Uh, Aaron Ramsey role for that. Uh, look, there's one player that I'm always going to love and I'm always going to prop Thomas Resistance. And he's oh going to have to mute his mic calling again. you, George. The, the constant office. phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> also, I love that you got like a house phone, like it's like the 1980s. It's really sweet. Just my get a mobile phone, George. Get my mum used to pick up the phone. Go seven six three four zero three. Yes. Yeah, mum. <laughs> yeah, no, literally. They know the number. They've just fucking called it. Um, <laughs> they just called that. But uh, after I answer my telephone, um, somebody clearly wants to talk. Um, but Thomas Rosicki is somebody that I will always prop. He is just somebody that I, I love um, to, to a T. He's a gas pedal type of player. And I just think um, that in addition to kind of Martin Odegaard, um, having another interior in that way that could just change the tempo of a game. We missed that kind of central running power with Emil out through injury and whatnot. We missed somebody that could really up the tempo of a game. And, you know, he was one of my favorite players. Little Mozart. Yes, that would be nice. Um, Bradley, podcast should never be longer than uh, than a movie. So we've just got time. <laughs> For a little bit of Arsenal trivia. First question this week comes from me, and then I'm handing over the reins to Branley Apples. I think permanently. Let's make it permanent. Why not? Yeah, all right. For, I'll, do a, I'll do a stint. I'll do a just stint. work for once. And then we'll give it to George. Uh, the question last Remember, time... Alex, you have to come up with the you have to come up with the context for this week. So get thinking. <laughs> Shit, yeah, yeah. How the turns table. Uh, the question from this week was about Edu Gaspar, and I asked you for how many years did Edu Gaspar play for Brazil? Seven. When did he make his debut, and when did he finish his international career? You don't have to know the dates. That's the highest order. You don't have to know the dates, but you have to know how long between the dates. 
Seven years from Brad, George? Uh, just to be different, I will go nine. Two. Is that it? He hasn't played Two internationals. He, no, he played internationals. Many... He played, I think, 50. He made, I think he made something like 15 appearances, but just between 2004 and 2005. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. All right. Can't Are you ready? That. Here we go, boys. I'm so excited. <laughs> the question for this week is, since the year 2000, 10 German players have played for Arsenal. What are their names? Okay. And how many appearances cumulatively did they make for the Gunners? There you go. Okay, that's a, there you that's go. a double whammy. Well, I mean, we should do and like a... the typical ones, right, mate? Like we should do like Serge, Gnabry, Lucas Padel. This is next week. You've got a this week to next think, week. darling. This is oh, next, okay. week. next week. We've okay. changed the format. You can take you. some time. Okay. Yes. Uh, and a theme for next week, Bradley. I would like you to have a question about the Emirates Stadium. The Emirates. Something about the Emirates right. Stadium. Let me write That's that nice. Down. Something about the Emirates. Aw, isn't that nice? <laughs> Homey. <laughs> Homey. All right, you dickheads. I've got to get a train, right. so. Yes. Pleasure as always, boys. Uh, Absolutely. Hour and a half of just just pure football. Just football pure, in the veins. Pure chat. And that Ornstein bomber is going to be so, so sweet. Where's the bomber? Where's the Ornstein bomber? Where's the Ornstein bomber? Pornstein. It's better when it comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Do you think he listens to us? Lee Gunner. I'd love to think that he does. I think I'd love Lee to Gunner think that he does. And just gets on... so angry. I imagine he's probably clicked on everything that's ever had his name on it. So maybe I'll, maybe yeah. I'll put... You the, should put uh, his name... Yeah, put his put name, his name in there. Put, odds on put his name in the actual name of the podcast. <laughs> so he finds Lee Gunner, it. Lee Gunner, click on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, some of, I've, I sometimes watch his videos because they, they come up as recommended and I really enjoy them. And um, <laughs> sometimes he says things and I'm like, that's my tweet. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be like... What he says is like he's worded like these these fucking inverted feminine little boys on Twitter yeah. going like and then says things that I've said and I'm like okay yeah all right <laughs> I've made it I've made it I've made it I've made it I think I think I might have said on to a, bo- on a bonus podcast but I'll say it live if Lee Gunner wants to debate me I would love that five hundred pounds mm. to his charity oh a thousand five hundred pounds thousand a thousand thousand percent i think it would be imagine it's so good the diff not boys versus lee gunner that would be unbelievable scene (laughs) all three of us all three of us let's go thanks as always for listening keep it different knock and we will see you later peace peace thanks so much for listening to the different knock and arsenal podcast to get bonus podcasts and much more, you can sign up to be a TDK member at patreon.com forward slash divnock for just £3 a month. Check us out on YouTube and follow us on all social media at divnock. Thanks again for listening. Podcast Network.